I feel like she already preached, though. I don't know if I got to do anything tonight. Great job. Actually, let's, let's take a quick second real quick. I want to pray for you, Angelina and, and Kennedy and your brother. And let's just, let's just ask God to bring favor on that. Heavenly Father, Lord, I just thank you for the words that you've placed on this child's heart. God, and I thank you that it didn't stay in her heart, but it came out of her mouth, God. And she was willing to speak in boldness and step out in faith. And Lord, we thank you for everything that happened last year. And Father God, we ask you, would you do even greater things this year, God? Would you give her greater boldness, greater courage, oh Lord, greater faith to trust you in the next steps, almighty God. Lord, we pray for Kennedy High School and all the high schools in CPS and all the high schools that are in every network here in the city of Chicago. God, we pray, may they be revival that is started and filtered through your students, your peers, almighty God, as they go out and they preach the gospel and they do the work of an evangelist. Father, we thank you, God, because we know that you have called them for such a time as this, that you have equipped them to do this mighty work. And so, Lord, we just pray, give them faith, give them courage, give them boldness to do everything you called them to do. We thank you for all that, and we pray this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Awesome. Hey, uh, I just want to share real quick uh, as... They were speaking, and as we were kind of praying about what to share with you tonight, uh, the Lord put a word on my heart that really lined up with the vision of what we're doing. Like I said, school is going to get ready to start soon for most of you, and you're going to get back into a lot of you. How many show of hands are going back into school physically real quick? Just show me. Okay. So you're actually going to end the hallways again, and you're going to be in that situation and uh, as she was speaking, I can hear the passion in your voice. I can hear the fact that this wasn't just something you did just to do it. There has to be uh, compassion behind passion. You have to care. That's to mean something. And typically, and I would say this arguably, but I feel like those who aren't willing to share their relationship with Christ either don't care about Christ or don't care about people. One of those is disconnected. If you don't believe that Jesus is the Savior of the world, if you don't believe that Jesus Christ is everything he says he is and has done everything he's done for you, if you don't appreciate that and are willing to share that with someone else, again, we're not saying you need to save anyone because you can't, right? It's never been your responsibility to save people. Jesus does the saving, but you are the messenger. And I don't know why God decided to use people like you and me, imperfect people, people who have flaws and scars, but in his wisdom and in his foresight, he saw it fit to send you to go and reach those who need to hear about Jesus. And then they can make a decision in and of themselves if they're willing to accept that message. The question is, do you have enough compassion to actually do something? And I was thinking about that word compassion, particularly in this week, because quite honestly, my heart was grieved on a couple of different occasions with what's been going on in our world, particularly with what's been happening in Haiti and in Afghanistan in the news this week. If you hadn't heard, Haiti had a 7.5 magnitude earthquake. Several hundred people died. Haiti is literally one of the poorest countries in the world. It's also steeped in heavy demonic oppression. Uh, and it's just a credible, incredible need for revival and for the love of God to move in Haiti. And as I'm watching people take rubble out and children and mothers and fathers and people just buried under this dead and gone one minute to the next. It grieved my heart. It began to feel like this isn't right 
what's going on. And then in Afghanistan, uh, again, if you haven't been paying attention, it's been officially run over by the Taliban. There was conflict in there for the past 10 years. The U.S. has been at war with some of those terrorist organizations. Uh, there's a lot of geopolitical aspects to this, but what grieved my heart was the images of people that were trying to get out of that country. People that understood that their lives are not just at risk, but literally at the point of death, that if they stayed in that country within a matter of days and maybe even hours, they and their families would lose their lives. People who had aided the U.S. in their efforts had already been marked for death. Christians, simply because they said yes to Jesus and were professing their faith, are being threatened and killed because of their faith. And there was even a video of people clinging to some of those airplanes that were evacuating U.S. citizens and some of the people that had helped out. You could see videos of people jumping on the wing as the plane was taking off, and at least three people fell to their death when they fell off the wing. I watched those things, and my heart grieves, and I'm moved to compassion to say that's not right. That's the spirit of God in you. When you see these images, when you hear about these situations, when you understand, and like this young lady was saying, when she sees the brokenness in her schools, when she hears about her friends wanting to take their lives, when she understands the anxiety and the stress that's going on, there is a grieving that goes on in the spirit. And if you're in line with God's spirit, it's very hard to ignore that grievance. And that grievance oftentimes, and if we're fortunate and, and right in the center of God's will, turns into compassion to do something about what's been grieving you. If you have your Bibles, I'd love for you to look at Mark chapter 9, verse 35 through 38. Because I think here Jesus gives us a great example of what he's calling you and I as believers to do. And verse 35, it says, Jesus traveled through all the towns and villages of that area, teaching in the synagogues and announcing the good news. The good news is the gospel. Well, what's the gospel, right? That Jesus Christ came and died on the cross for your sins and for mine so that we don't have to experience that eternal death, so that we don't have to experience the separation from God. Jesus paid the ultimate price for our sins so that you and I can now live in a relationship with God and have that relationship with God forever, He's coming around and he's sharing this good news. He's telling people about the kingdom of God. And then it says, and he healed every kind of disease and illness. When he saw the crowds, pay attention here, he had compassion on them because they were confused and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. He said to his disciples, the harvest is great, but the workers are few. So pray to the Lord of the harvest. If we're going to be effective at reaching the lost, which every one of us in this room should be. Ask yourself this question. Who was the last person that you reached for Jesus? Who was the last person that you even talked to about Jesus, that you shared your faith with about Jesus? And if your answer is, I don't know, or I can't remember, you're being ineffective at the one thing God has called every one of us believers to do. And so if you are going to be effective, I think Jesus gives us a few tips and what we need to do. And if you're taking notes, the first thing is this. We need to travel. Jesus says that he traveled from town to town all over that area. What does that say to me? I need you to understand that evangelism, that talking about the gospel, that having an opportunity for people to know Jesus is so much more than inviting them here. 
Because if you invite them here, you didn't tell them about Jesus. You brought them here so I could tell them about Jesus. And listen, that's good too. But don't limit evangelism to bringing somebody to church. Okay? Because you got to understand the same power that works through me works through you. As a matter of fact, they might even listen and believe you more because you have the credibility of a relationship with them. And so what I love about campus ministries, what I love about what you're doing, is it's not just club, it's you're taking church to them. You're not waiting for them to come to you. You're not waiting for them to eventually say yes to maybe possibly asking their mom and dad to drive them here. And so often we limit evangelism to that. And so we're like, hey, why don't you try to reach your friends? And our answer is, well, I invited them, they don't want to come. And I'm sitting here going, okay, why don't you take it to them? It's like somebody is, is dying of thirst on your front steps, and they're literally at a point of death, and you're like, hey, you want to come inside the house, and I'll give you a cup of water? And they're like, no, nah, your house is dirty. I don't want to go in there. <laughs> and then you're like, oh, well, I guess you could just die on my steps. As opposed to just thinking, you know what, hold on, I'll get you water, right? I, I'm going to bring you water. I'm not going to just sit here and be like, okay, let's bring you inside. And so often we see people in the world that are literally dying and going to hell, that are struggling, that are hurting, that are in need of a Savior, and you, you minimize evangelism too. You want to go to church on, on Thursday? It's kind of cool. I mean, you don't have to if you don't want to. Just, I mean, you want to come? They said they won't come, Pastor. I, don't even really, I, I invited them. What do you want me to do? I want you to bring the gospel to them. I want you to be so different that they recognize something's going on in your life. I want you to be the hope in the world as Christ is the hope in your life so that when they're struggling with their issues and they look at you and they go, well, how come you don't struggle the same way I struggle? You can tell them because I have a hope that you haven't discovered yet. And let me tell you about that hope. Now, do I want you to bring them here? Absolutely, because when you bring them here, you're then bringing them into the body. You're then bringing them into community where we can continue to develop and grow and love on them and help them through this process. But you, you have an opportunity to introduce them to Jesus anywhere and everywhere. You just got to be willing to travel a little bit. Mark chapter 16 verse 15 says this, and then he told them, go into all the world and preach the good news to everyone. It said go into all the world, not bring all the world into here. We got to be willing to travel. But I think part of why we don't travel, and I mentioned this a little bit earlier, part of why we don't share what God has placed in our heart is because we lack compassion. If you're taking notes, you need to understand not only do we need to travel, but we need compassion. We need to have a heart that hurts knowing that people are struggling without Jesus, knowing that people are hurting and lost and are going to hell simply because of your refusal or your uneasiness about sharing who God is in your life to them. If you look in the Bible, over and over again, we see that Jesus is moved by compassion. Matthew chapter 20, verse 32 through 34. Jesus stopped and called them. What do you want me to do for you? This is two blind men that were asking for help. He asked, Lord, they answered, we want our sight. Jesus had compassion on them and touched them. Mark chapter 1, verse 40 through 41, a man with leprosy came and knelt in front of Jesus, begging to be healed. If you're willing, you can heal me and make me clean, he said. Moved with compassion, Jesus reached out and touched him. I am willing, he said, be healed. 
Mark chapter 8, verse 1 through 2. During those days, another large crowd gathered. Since they had nothing to eat, Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion for these people. They have already been with me three days and they have nothing to eat. And then he goes on to feed over 4,000 people. When you have compassion, you are automatically moved into action. If there is no action, I would argue there's no compassion. If you're not doing something about it, then you don't really care about it. And so a lot of us, well, yeah, I have compassion. Well, what is that compassion causing you to do? What is that compassion moving you into? And I think back to, to my years as a teenager, and, and, and I remember God really getting a hold of my life and gripping me. And then I remember my friends struggling, and, and I was one of those people, and I know some of you are too. You're that friend that everyone wants to talk to. Everyone goes to for advice. Everyone wants to hear what's going on. Everyone wants your opinion on stuff. And people kept coming to me, and I realized I kept giving them my answers, but I never gave them the answer. I didn't tell them about Jesus. And so when God got a hold of my life, I started to preach the gospel, literally standing on top of a table at McDonald's, telling my friends about Jesus, talking them out of gangs and into church, and literally driving all over the city to pick people up. And this is my greatest joy and shame. Because I've been doing youth ministry here full-time for 12 years. I volunteered five years after that. I have been coming to Excel every Thursday night for over 20 years. I still hold the record for the most first-time visitors brought by one student. Why do I still hold the record? I brought 22 people in one night. 22 people got saved. But why do I still hold that? I'm not saying it's about those numbers, but numbers matter. Remember, there's a book in the Bible called Numbers. God keeps track of things. And it's not to boast, but because every one of those numbers represents an individual who's lost and in need of a savior. Do you have enough compassion? Do you care about these people that you call friends? Do you care about the people that you still have no friendship with, but you still see that they're in need and that they're struggling? If your friend is hungry, if you're all at McDonald's and they're that one friend, we've all had that one friend. I was that one friend. I didn't have no money. Everybody else had money. Everybody ordered McDonald's or everybody ordered food. And they're like, Joe, you're not going to eat? It's like, no, I'm not hungry. And you knew they were hungry. You just also knew they were broke. So what'd you do? I got you, bro. Don't you worry about it. No, no, it's cool. Bro, I got you. Why? Because I know you're hungry and I want to provide for that need. Listen, that person that was hungry, they'll get hungry again. But if you're willing to feed someone spiritually, they won't ever have to go back to you for that. They'll go back to God for that for the rest of their life. If we have enough compassion to buy somebody a double cheeseburger, do we have enough compassion to tell somebody about who Jesus is in our lives? The third thing is this, if you're taking notes. If you look at Jesus in that verse that we read earlier, he said when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were confused and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And then he says this, the harvest is great, but the workers are few. So basically pray for more workers. We need to travel and we need compassion, but man, oh man, we need workers. Guess what we have a lot of? People. Guess what we don't have a lot of? Workers. You can have a bunch of people and not a lot of workers, right? Think about it in your house. Those of you who have siblings, you ever had like, you know, those Saturday mornings where mom wakes you up blasting the music, hey, time to clean. And it's like, you like that song until she started playing it for music. Now you hear that song, like you're like, oh my God, I just smell Windex and it freaks me out, right? And you know, those of you who have siblings, 
Every now and then, there's that sibling who doesn't do anything, and there's the sibling who does everything. And that sibling is working, and you're counting, hey, there's two of us. How come only one of us is working? <laughs> right? How come I got to clean everything? And then your mom comes, she's like, hey, listen, I need you to do the dishes. And immediately you're like, me do the dishes? I already mopped the floor. I already cleaned the bathroom. Tell your other daughter to do it. <laughs> Tell your other son to do it. Why? Because there's multiple people in the room, but there's only one worker. Now, that frustrates you. That actually makes you mad. Well, could you imagine what the kingdom of God feels like when there's so many people who come to church, but only a few of them work? The rest of us, we just show up, we sit down, we stand up, we do our thing, and then we go home. And God is saying, hey, listen, we don't need you to fill the seats with your butt. We need you to fill heaven with souls. We need workers people that are willing to serve, people that are willing to go out of their way to tell their friends, people who are willing to get their car and pick people up, people who are willing to make friends and sit next to that new kid so they don't feel awkward and they feel like they have a friend in this place. We need workers. We have more than enough people in the room. Listen, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 through 10 says this, for it is by grace that you have been saved. Through faith, and this is not of yourselves. Again, we didn't earn our salvation. We can't gain our salvation. It's through faith in Jesus. It is a gift of God, as the scriptures say. Not by works, so that no one can boast. But then listen to this. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. You are a good work. When God got a hold of you, he made you, created you, gave you new life, and you became God's masterpiece. You are a handiwork who has been built to do work. A lot of us are satisfied with just being a masterpiece and not creating masterpieces. A lot of us are satisfied with being a good work and not doing a good work. God rescued you. God fulfilled you. God poured his spirit on you. God has walked with you and loves you and listens to you and is with you. And then God is saying, hey, why won't you introduce me to your friend, though? Why won't you talk about what I did in your life? Listen, some of you, a lot of you in this room, you got to go to camp. And I saw God do some powerful things in and through you at camp. Can I ask you this? Did you tell anybody about it? Not just your mom and dad. Did you tell any of your friends what God did? Did you tell any unbelieving friend what God did in your life? Because if you didn't, why did God do it? Because it wasn't just to be for you. God did a good work in you so that you can go and work. Work that he's prepared for you long in advance. You know what that means? Before you said yes to Jesus, he already had work for you. Before you said yes to Jesus, he already had a job for you. So there are people, what the Bible is telling me, there are people that God has purposed and planned for you specifically to reach on his behalf. So when you don't do it, it's not just you, it's the people that God has prepared in advance for you to be the one to reach who suffer. I don't want to be that one in hell who's like, oh, Gia was supposed to talk to me? Yep, I never got that call. <laughs> And it's funny to an extent, but the reality is people suffer simply because what? We feel awkward. We're, we're, we're unsure. We're not confident. What if it's not about you at all? What if it's about God equipping you and empowering you? And guess what, guys? Sometimes it's just as simple as being faithful. 
It's just as simple about as, as just doing what God called you to do, seeing the need and providing for it. I want to close with this story. It's actually one of my all-time favorite stories. Uh, if you don't know me, I am uh, passionate about history. I love history. I love reading about history. I love learning about history. Um, all the nuances of that are, I find extremely fascinating. I'm the guy that can sit there and watch the History Channel all day and watch documentaries on stuff, and everyone's falling asleep bored, and I'm like, oh, fascinating. <laughs> and there's this story about a man named Nicholas Winton. Uh, you may not have heard of this man, but Nicholas Winton was, was alive. He was about 28 years old just before the start of World War II. And Nicholas Winton was a stockholder, uh, basically he was a banker, who worked in England and was vacationing near Prague or this area called Czechoslovakia at the time. And through a series of circumstances, he ends up in Czechoslovakia and he starts to realize that Germany and the Nazis are starting to invade the countries that are closest to them. And one of those on that map is Prague or Czechoslovakia. Nazi forces are preparing to invade this country, and it's already evident what those forces are doing to people. So with this in mind, Nicholas, just a stockholder, no background in any of this, he organizes a group of individuals to begin to create this massive humanitarian effort of rescuing children. So there were plenty of, of Jewish families, most of these children were Jewish, who understood that the Nazis were coming in and they were gathering and rounding up Jewish people to take them to concentration camps and eventually exterminate them. And so they thought, well, if we can't save all of us, would you at least save my children? And just recently I was reading about how at the airports in Afghanistan where they're evacuating people, parents are tossing their babies over the barbed wire fence saying, would you at least take my baby? And Sir Nicholas Winston sees this need and he starts to gather organization and he organizes eight trains to evacuate these children out of Prague. Not only does he organize the trains to evacuate, but he sets up foster homes for every single child. Every single child will receive a foster home. Most of them were, uh, were getting shipped out to England. He said many countries were unwilling to accept the children because there were no guardians with them. They're like, we're not going to take just random children. One of the only countries that did it was his home country of UK. Sir Nicholas Winston, in total, was able to rescue 669 children. And he never told anyone about it. No one knew. As a matter of fact, for decades, no one knew, not even his own wife, one day, while they were cleaning out the attic, his wife finds a box with all the files and documents that he kept with the records of every child's name and where they were placed and what foster home and all the documentation that they had put together. And she's like, are you, what, you did what? Like she is blown away and eventually word of this gets out and a TV program in the UK in, in the year 1988 decides, well, we need to tell this story. We wanna invite this guy out. And so they invite Sir Nicholas Winston out to their talk show so they can celebrate what he had done. And there's actually a, a video clip that I really would love for you to see. It's just a minute long, but here is Sir Nicholas Winston, and they want to celebrate and honor him for saving 669 children right at the brink of World War II. Here's a man who traveled, saw a situation, had enough compassion to say, I need to do something about this, and made himself a worker 
and something he was never trained to do. And as a result of his efforts, 669 children got to grow up. I get emotional about this because I, I often will picture myself one day sitting in heaven, being able to meet people that I had an opportunity to preach the gospel to. And I don't want credit for it the same way Nicholas didn't want credit for it. But the joy of knowing, oh, you're here. You were at that camp. You were in that youth group. You went to my school. How many thousands of people will be with you in heaven because you shared the gospel to one or two people? One kid shared it with me, and he brought me here at 15 years old. And over the last several decades, by the grace of God, I've been able to preach to thousands. And thousands have gotten to know Jesus, who've gotten to tell others. And again, I don't need credit, and I don't want credit, because all the glory goes to God. Sir Nicholas Winston lived, or Winston lived to be over 105 years old. And he was always incredibly humble about what he did. And I think part of that is because of something I heard in one of his interviews later in his life. Because even though he helped 669 children, he told this story. He said that, yes, he saved 669 children, but he had a train of 200 kids right before or right as the war broke out. 200 kids in a train ready to be shipped out with homes prepared to receive them. But the war had broke out and the Nazis got a hold of the train and killed all 200 plus children on the train. It doesn't matter that he saved 669 because his heart said there were 200 I couldn't save. I think the reason I've been in youth ministry so long is because I got a hold of what God was and God got a hold of my life halfway through high school. But there was a whole other half of high school I wasted. And I don't want you to waste a minute of what God has called you to do. Listen, John chapter 4, verse 35 says, you know the saying, four months between planting and harvest. Pastor Jason, if you can help me out. But I say, wake up and look around. The fields are already ripe for harvest. There was this saying that they had four months between uh, planting and harvest. In other words, once you plant, you can wait. It's, you're just going to wait. Nothing's going to happen. And what Jesus is saying, hey, guys, look at the window. There is no more waiting. The harvest are ripe. People are ready. Your friends are willing to hear. And it doesn't matter if they don't respond the way you want them to respond. It doesn't matter if they don't say yes right away. It doesn't matter if they don't come to church. It doesn't matter as long as you are faithful to what God has asked you to do. Are you willing to at least deliver the message and share what God has placed in your heart? Are you willing to just tell your story? Or are you just going to be fake about who God called you to be? The thing I love about your generation is you can smell real a mile away. And I think some of you, you've been fake too long and that's why you don't share who God is in your life. All I'm saying is be real. Let God. And if you let God, then you let God show himself through you because you don't get these years back. John mentioned this earlier, but up to 83% of Americans in the United States who are believers 
made that decision before they graduated high school? 83%? That means you have a window to reach them, a window to share your heart with them, a window that is quickly closing. Some of you, you're walking into your senior year. This is your last opportunity as a high schooler to make an impact that God has called you to. Some of you, you're just starting to go into junior high, and praise God, you got plenty of years to do the work, but why wait till senior year? So I'm gonna ask you to stand as we close tonight. I'm gonna ask you to just close your eyes for a moment, hear my voice. Tonight I'd love us to close in praying for the lost. And part of this message in my heart was thinking that the people in this room, you're my core people. You're the ones that God has called us to build around this ministry. You're the one that has come to do the work. I believe in what God has called you to do and I believe in you. And so I wanna pray that God would use you and equip you and prepare you to do the work that I know you're capable of doing. But before I do that, I just need to know, just in case, you might be here tonight and you might be one of those people who have never given your life to the Lord. One of those people that the young lady was talking about who's lost and hurting in school and in need of help. One of those children who can't save themselves but understands that there's a God-shaped hole in my heart and I don't know all the ins and outs about God or religion or any of that stuff and I don't need you to know that. If you know there's a need, I'm telling you there's a savior. So again, I'm assuming most of you in this room have made that decision, but in the case that there isn't, if you're here and you say, Pastor Joey, I wanna give my life to the Lord. I wanna know that I know that I have a relationship with Jesus. Would you just signal me real quick by lifting up your hand so I can pray for you? Thank you, sweetie. Anyone else? He says, that's me, Pastor. Thank you, sweetheart. Anyone else? Well, great. I'm gonna pray for those two young ladies that raised their hand. But listen, you didn't have to raise your hand. The Bible says if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Christ is Lord, I don't need to know that. But you can make that decision with God. So I wanna pray for those two young ladies and I'm gonna ask all the believers in this room, would you help me out by just repeating after me all together? Would you say this with me? Say, Jesus, I thank you, Lord, that while I was still a sinner, you died on the cross for me. You've forgiven me of all of my sins. And you are making me fresh and new tonight. Help me, Lord, to love you the way you love me and to follow you all the days of my life. I pray this all in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. And now I'm gonna pray in a moment for the rest of us. If you're serious about being who God called you to be, if you're willing to make an effort to reach your friends, whether you're a sixth grader or you're in college and an adult, we need to pray together and encourage each other. So if that's you in this room and you're saying, Pastor Joey, I'll be honest, man, I've wasted time. And there are more than 669 people who need to hear about Jesus. And if it's only one that God has prepared in advance for me to do. I gotta be faithful to that one. Then just join me up here. We're gonna pray together and we're gonna ask God to help us 
in this new school year. I'm going to pray with you. So if that's you, meet me up here, and we're going to ask God to help us and to do the work. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Come on, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. Come on, don't be shy. Come all the way up. I don't care if it's five of us or 500. Heavenly Father, I pray over every person in this room. Lord, I pray that it would be by your spirit that you would move us to compassion. Lord, that we would be willing to travel outside of our comfort zone, that we'd be willing to share everything that you have done in and through us. God, I pray that you would embolden us. I pray that you would encourage us. I pray that you would give us the right words at the right time. God, I also pray that you would help us, almighty God, to have our eyes open for every divine opportunity that presents itself. God, that, that we would walk through those opportunities, that we would speak those words in confidence, God, that we would start those movements with boldness, that we would share with that individual because of the love that we have for them, God. Lord, I pray that you would break our heart for what breaks yours. I pray that you would help us to be fully surrendered and fully committed to everything you called us to do. Lord, I pray for every individual who has boldness enough to stand here, God. Lord, I pray that you would use them and multiply them exponentially, God. That one would save two and two would save four, four would save eight, eight would serve millions, God. But Lord, I pray that you be faithful with us and that we would be faithful with you. So Lord, I pray over every individual, God. Would you fill them with your Holy Spirit? Would you empower them with your presence? Would you give them the words to speak the way you gave the words to Jeremiah? Would you give them the boldness and the words and the opportunities to do what you have called them to do? And Lord, we pray, should you bring them into this ministry, help us to foster them, help us to love them, help us to raise them up and disciple them the way they need to be discipled. We thank you, God, because you didn't call us in this room just to play games and sing songs. You called us to be part of a movement that'll transform a generation forever. We thank you for that, and we pray this all in Jesus' mighty name. And everybody said? Come on, would you give God a hand clap of praise? Amen. Hey, we're gonna go ahead and close out. If you wanna talk to John and you're interested in starting a, a club at your school, he's gonna stick around. If, if you wanna talk to... Uh, any of his people, they're going to be here for a little bit. I want to encourage you, keep doing what God is doing. Uh, and just on a personal note, uh, pray for me and Cease. Our baby is due in the next week. And so we just want to pray for a smooth uh, pregnancy, and, or pregnancy is already done, a smooth delivery, and that our daughter would be healthy and strong. If she can help me with that, I'd greatly appreciate it. Amen? God bless you. We love you. We'll see you tomorrow or next week.